away from curious eyes, her expression changed, her smile faded, her lovely, irregular face took on a curious intensity. What a devilish evening! Chris drinking too much, talking wildly, and always with furtive eyes on her. Chris! Oh well, that was life, she supposed. She stopped before a long mirror and gave a bit of careless attention to her hair, With more care, she tinted her lips again with a cosmetic stick from the tiny diamond-studded bag she carried. Then she turned and surveyed the hall and the library beyond. A new portrait of Natalie was there, hanging on the wall under a shaded light. And she wandered in, still with her cigarette, and surveyed it. Natalie had everything. The portrait showed it. It was beautiful, smug, complacent. Mrs. Valentine's eyes narrowed slightly. She stood there thinking about Natalie. She had not everything, after all. There was something she lacked. Charm, perhaps. She was a cold woman. But then Clay was cold, too. He was even a bit hard. Men said that, hard and ambitious. Although he was popular, men liked strong men. It was only the weak they deplored and loved. Poor Chris. She lounged into the drawing room, smiling her slow, cool smile. In the big, uncarpeted alcove, where stood Natalie's great painted piano, Marion Hayden was playing softly, carefully posed for the entrance of the men. Natalie was sitting with her hands folded in the exact center of a peacock blue divan. The others were knitting. Very pretty effect, Toots, Audrey called, and Miss Hayden gave her the unashamed smile of one woman of the world to another. Audrey had a malicious impulse. She sat down next to Natalie, and against the blue divan her green gown shrieked a discord. She was vastly amused when Natalie found it an excuse to move away, to dispose herself carefully in a tall, old gold chair which framed her like a picture. "'We were talking of men, my dear,' said Mrs. Haverford, placidly knitting. "'Of course,' said Natalie, flippantly. "'Of what it is that they want more than anything else in the world.' "'Children, sons,' put in Mrs. Mackenzie. "'She was a robust big woman with kindly eyes, and she was childless. "'Women,' called Toots Hayden, She was still posed, but she had stopped playing. Mrs. Haverford's eyes rested on her a moment, disprovingly. "'What do you say, Natalie?' Audrey asked. "'I hadn't thought about it. Money, probably.' "'You are all wrong,' said Audrey, and lighted a fresh cigarette. "'They want different things at different ages. "'That's why marriage is such a rotten failure. First, they want women.' Any woman will do, really. So they marry any woman, and then they want money. After that, they want power and place. And when they've got that, they begin to want love. Good gracious, Audrey, what a cynical speech, said Mrs. Mackenzie. If they'd been married all that time... Oh, tut, said Audrey rudely. She had the impulse of the unhappy woman to hurt but she was rather ashamed of herself, too. These women were her friends. 
Let them go on believing that life was a thing of lasting loves, that men were true to the end, and that the relationships of life were fixed and permanent things. I'm sorry, she said. I was just being clever. Let's talk about the war. It's the only thing worth talking about, anyhow. In the dining room, Clayton Spencer, standing tall and erect, had watched the women go out. How typical the party was of Natalie, of her meticulous care in small things, and her indifference, or real ignorance, as to what counted. Was it indifference, really, or was it supreme craftiness? The stupidity of her dinners, the general unattractiveness of the women she gathered around her, the ill assortment of people who had little in themselves and nothing whatever in common. Of all the party, only Audrey and the rector had interested him even remotely. Audrey amused him. Audrey was a curious mixture of...